Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Streams of Winter, live stream five, Sansa Stark. Hello and welcome to The Streams of Winter. I'm Yoke Boy and we are Radio Westeros. And thank you all so much for showing up in our live stream today. This afternoon we'll be focusing on none other than the very popular Sansa Stark in The Winds of Winter. This relates to our new episode, The Winds of Winter Primer Part 2, which is currently on its patron rollout and will be out for public release this week. What will be Sansa's role in the upcoming book? It's an intriguing set of questions. To help me answer them, here's the other half of Radio Westeros, Lady Gwyn. Hello. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today. Very excited to talk about Sansa and especially excited to talk about Sansa with today's guest. Welcome, Chloe. Hello. Thank you for being here. We're very happy to have you. No, we're we're all excited for Sansa. Um, we were talking just a minute ago about that. Even Yoke Boy is excited. I'm very excited. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, quick reminder, everyone, about spoilers. Everything is fair game. Uh, books, sample chapters, and uh, references to the show. We usually avoid that in our regular episodes, but here. Anything goes. Spoilers, everything. So let's get started. Back over to you, Yoke Boy. Okay, let's begin. In the Elaine, the Winds of Winter sample chapter, we learn of an upcoming tourney in the Vale that will be attended by local warriors and the highest echelons of Vale society. Now, there always seems to be surprising and major events at these tourneys. So what happens at this one? Lady Gwyn, why don't you set us off? I will set us off with a few of the ideas that the fandom has come up with. Um, Number one being um, those uh, clansmen uh, in the Mountains of the Moon. Tyrion armed them, promised them the veil. Tourney would sure be a great opportunity for them to, uh, you know, have all the major lords of the veil in one place. So that's one thought that people have had uh another one uh which seems pretty clearly to be leading somewhere we have sir shadrick the mad mouse who is uh right there at the gates of the moon um he's referred to sansa as in the past to brienne as a bag of gold um 
in her Winds of Winter sample chapter, he makes comment about stumbling on a bag of gold. So uh, could he be up to something? Could uh, Lynn Corbray, who is in that same passage, noted to be willing to do anything for gold and uh, to have some sort of very confusing allegiance to Littlefinger? Is he pretending to be his enemy while pretending to be his friend while really being his enemy or really be sounds as confused uh i think some of us are too so uh could be he have something up his sleeve for the tourney or possibly something else so you've given us plenty of options for this tourney intriguing options chloe why don't you tell us what you think about this tourney do you have any ideas absolutely uh I wrote this really extensive thing a very long time ago that I don't know if I fully agree with it anymore because opinions change after like three, four, five, how many years? Too many. many. years, right? Too many. Too many. Uh, But opinions change, right? You change your opinions very often. (laughs) Uh, And we're allowed to do that. You can write a 16-page Google Doc essay about something and then decide it's garbage a month later. It's not a big deal, everyone. But... Long time ago, I was thinking about how there isn't a ton of Vale history, right? There's nothing right off the top of your head that you think about. However, there is one thing that I think is pretty loosely related to this tourney, and that is the Tourney of the Winged Knights is what this is being dubbed. But the Battle of the Seven Stars during the Andal invasion feels really similar. So pull out your history books, get out the tomes, right? Call Maester Gildane, get him on the phone. Uh, the whole gist of the Battle of the Seven Stars during the Andal invasion is that the Andals prevailed over the First Men and took the Vale. Once the Vale was under Andal control, the remaining houses ended up joining together to try to get rid of Artis Aaron. They joined behind Robar Royce, a familiar name, uh, and they tried to fight the Winged Knight, Artis Aaron, but they eventually were defeated. Robar Royce is slain in battle. The remainder of the First Men kneel, and that's how the Aarons got the Vale, That's the story ever since. But here's where it gets interesting. In the Battle of the Seven Stars, there were two parties. There were the First Men and the Andals. On Team First Men, we had House Royce, Redford, Upcliffe, Hunter, Belmore, Coldwater, and Shet. They were all led by King Robar II Royce, Ursula Upcliffe, and Lord Redford. On Team Andal, we had House Grafton, Corbray, Ruthermont, Templeton, who are led by Sir Artis Aaron, Lord Rothermont, Sir Lucian Templeton, and Sir Jamie Corbray. There were really notable casualties on both sides of these nobles, but the first men, as usual, seemed to suffer a little bit more than the Andals because the Andals won. So when we open up with the Winds of Winter, Elaine won with those in mind, we're presented with the tourney of the Winged Knights. Elaine herself proposed this to offer Sweet Robin confidence and eight winged knights to protect him. And of course, we know Littlefinger loves it because he can use it as his own scheming playground. Uh, these eight-winged knights would be Robert Aaron's Kingsguard, right? Uh, I originally wrote this a little before Fire and Blood came out, a couple years before, so I think George might also be playing with that Kingsguard tourney from Fire and Blood in the future. I think that's something to look out for as a sandbox for Sansa, but we'll get into that later. Uh, when we look at the Vale right now, it's divided as ever, and instead of Team Andal and Team First Men, You could actually separate it with very similar houses to Team Littlefinger, Lord Gerald Grafton, Lionel Lynn Corbray, Simon Templeton, Robert Aaron, and Harry Harding, and then Team Lords Declarant, which is Lord Bronzion Royce, Horton Redford, Gilwood Hunter, Benedar Belmore, and Ben Coldwater. 
Basically, this aligns with the Battle of the Seven Stars in almost almost an exact parallel that Team Littlefinger is Team Andal and the Lord Declarants are Team First Men, right down to the cultural, this is our land and you, Littlefinger, are invading. So I feel like we're going to see Team First Men win. Maybe it might not be in the Winds of Winter, but it might be overarching throughout the series that the Team First Men group, the Lord's Declaron, uh, end up kind of surviving and getting their land back. And the tourney choosing the Winged Knights is such an interesting choice considering the Vale's history with that. So I wonder if those two sides will also have anything about who gets chosen as a Winged Knight. And who would you say would be chosen? Do you have any ideas on that, Chloe? Have you got a kind of list hidden up your sleeve? I have too many lists, Yoke Boy. I have so many lists. I have Excel spreadsheet lists. I have whatever you want. Okay, but (laughs) yes, this list. I'm thinking that a handful are going to be no names, right? We have kind of this time in the Winds of Winter for George to get to have fun with the Vale, get to play with the Vale. So I'm wondering if we'll see Michael Redfort, Marwyn Belmore, Uther Shatt, Ben Coldwater, Albert Royce, Sir Owen, Targan the Halfwild, and maybe even a new House Upcliff member, because there's something like 45 eligible-ish bachelors that you can count throughout all the books of the Vale people, uh, just from, you know, scrolling through appendices, etc. There's about 45 eligible dudes that could be the Winged Knight. So from intriguing characters to possible historical parallels, this tourney really should be something in the Winds of Winter. I'm really looking forward to it. Now, let, let's move on. In A Feast for Crows, it's made plain that Littlefinger is encouraging Maester Coleman to use Sweet Sleep on poor Sweet Robin. Sweet Sleep is a relaxant at a low dose, but is a poison at a higher dose. And remember how small Sweet Robin is. Given Littlefinger's apparent plans for the Harry the Air plot, does this mean Sweet Robin will die of this cause in the Winds of Winter? Lady Gwyn, will he be poisoned? Well, there's no doubt he's being poisoned. I think uh, in our new episode, we counted up the number of times, just like in recent, uh, you know, the last couple of chapters he's been dosed with this stuff way too many it's like five or six in in every time maester coleman's going no no more he's definitely being poisoned will he die um i have always thought uh that yes he probably will i know some people don't agree with me but <laughs> <laughs> but um it you know it could go either way obviously if we lean on the show a little bit he didn't die in the show. And, um, you know, that could be a factor of um, they didn't really know what to do with this character. Maybe they all they knew was that he lived. And maybe that explains why his arc in the show was so bizarre. I don't know. Um, but I definitely think that there is no doubt that he is being poisoned to a to a dangerous level. Okay, and why don't we chart it into a kind of controversial territory? Do you think Sansa knows about this plot and understands it. What do you think? This is the big question, isn't it? This all roads lead back to this question. Uh, is she complicit, even on the level of, of 
understanding what Coleman is saying, um, you know, what the implications of him being repeatedly dosed with this, you know, there is a level where she's hearing these, these warnings on the one hand, and on the other hand, she's, you see her thinking, uh, we just have to do it, we have no choice. So I wonder, you know, does, does she know the depth of the plot? Or is it just kind of, you know, she's been made to be complicit in it? And maybe hopefully at some point, she realizes um, that this is going in a very bad direction. Chloe, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this topic. Are you in agreement with Lady Gwyn here? Uh, Sweet Robin lives forever, so jot that down, Lady <laughs> Gwyn. Just putting that out there. If you don't agree, meet me outside, socially distancing. We'll fight about it. We'll fight. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm six feet I can apart. Never fight you. We'll, I have too we'll much throw love ice for you. We would just. Yeah, it'll be much more fun. Uh, no, I do think. So I feel, and maybe this is just, I feel like it's a big screw you, right? To make him live instead, especially with Littlefinger all, oh, sickly boys can grow up to be very strong. Um, I think people underestimate Sweet Robin's role. And I do think, so we get that duality of Sansa, right? She approaches Littlefinger and compartmentalizes Littlefinger and compartmentalizes her role in the things that he does uh, I mean, he's already implicated her in regicide, but she might not fully understand the context of that. But in the same hand, while he says that, it's like he's handing her a bouquet of roses and saying, but sweetie, you're so much safer with me. Aren't you grateful? Oh, my God. Uh, and it's totally a jerk move, right? Uh, we know this. No one likes Littlefinger. If you do, stop. Uh, but Sansa, she knows she's poisoning Sweet Robin. Like, she kind of knows deep down. Uh, and I think it is going to be a big plot point. I agree with you there that that is the million dollar question. What's she going to do about it? Is she going to keep poisoning him and kill him basically by keep agreeing? I don't know. I don't, I, I've pondered on it back and forth. I think that she will not keep doing it. I think there will be a couple chapters, but I almost feel like it might become leverage, right? Uh, we have all these things that eventually I know we're going to chat about with Sansa's loved ones that have been betrayed because of Littlefinger and how she kind of hasn't digested that because she's like, Peter's a nice man. Littlefinger is this smarmy a-hole. Uh, it's a weird, like, but to stay safe, she thinks she has to be with him. So I think there's going to be a power paradigm that changes where it could become, no, I'm not going to keep poisoning him. And if you want me to poison him, then maybe I should tell everyone in the Vale that you're withholding food from them and driving the prices up to starve them out. Like, I know about your scheme. So I wonder if it's going to become kind of a leverage in the cat and mouse uh, kind of relationship they might have going forward. That's interesting. And I think we're going to come to, you know, the dynamics between Littlefinger and Sansa later on, for sure. But let's suppose that Robin did die just for a second, what would be the reaction of the Vale Lords if one day Robin didn't wake up and Sweet Sleep had killed him, Lady Gwyn? This, oh, well, I mean, they're expecting him to die. I, mean, I think right now he's uh, Littlefinger kind of nails it. He says the Lords of the Vale will never love me nor our silly shaking Robert. I mean, they're all just kind of sitting there thinking that this kid is a pathetic weakling and, you know, how could this be John Aaron's heir? Um, 
you know, I, I don't think they would applaud if they thought someone murdered him, but I think they would be unsurprised if he died because he has this, you know, sickness that goes back his entire existence. It should not come as a surprise to them that someone like that might die suddenly. You know what their relationship really feels like? It reminds me a lot of uh, Mary and Colin in Secret Garden. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of that, that, Mm -hmm. you know, Sansa shows up. She's a queer and hated girl, too, obviously, in the Eerie. Mm -hmm. We know how Liza felt about her. uh, And she's nothing special. And, of course, you have the little master with his temper tantrums and his screaming and his flinging of food. It very much feels like that sort of scenario for me. Yes, I agree. That was one of my favorite books. Okay, so time will tell what happens to Sweet Robin. We've had a variety of opinions here. So moving on, the Harry the Air plot was pretty convoluted and a surprising entry into A Feast for Crows and one that might shape Sansa's immediate future. The reader currently harbours doubts about Harry himself while acknowledging that he might merely be a pawn in Littlefinger and Sansa's Game of Thrones. Do we think Sansa will go through with this marriage in order to further her own ambitions? This is a big question, so let's bre- I'm going to break it down. Lady Gwyn, first of all, do you think Harry is capable of, for once, being decent to Sansa, something she hasn't really experienced well, I mean, here's, it's interesting. He's instantly unlikable. He's just presented as a, as a jerk, right? Pretty much from the start. He's arrogant. Um, you know, he's fathered two bastards already. Uh, he's very, very mean to Elaine when he shows up. Um, we're just pretty much being made to despise him. Um, and then in their, their first at the feast, he's telling her that uh, all about his current mistress <laughs> and their child. So, I mean, he's really a tool, but you see her in that chapter kind of start to win him over. And I wonder if that's the beginning of a process where she does win him over and he turns out to be, uh, you know, kind of OK, maybe, maybe likable, maybe not. Maybe a tool is exactly the right word. He's he's not really a terrible person. He's just someone that's being used. I could definitely see that that might be being set up. So what will become of him, Lady Gwyn? Well, for this question, I say take a look at the fate of um, any other young, insert heraldic animal here character. Um, the young wolf the young dragon um their their arcs were brief and bright over before we even knew about it so i would expect that the young falcon would be something similar to that okay so you're talking about his his part in the plot being bright but very short he burns out quickly so chloe tell me could Harry die in this very tourney that we've been discussing? Could we be caught off guard and, you know, his story's over as it began? 
I would double down and say I 120% know he will die in this dang tourney, Yoke Boy, and I will tell you why. So everything that Lady Gwyn just said is absolutely correct, especially when you consider the very first time that Sansa goes to a tourney. Do you remember that back in Game of Thrones Sansa 2? Uh, Sansa, of course, and Jane are sitting with Septa Mordane and a young man from the Vale. And the line goes, his cloak was blue, the color of the sky on a clear summer's day, trimmed with a border of crescent moons. But as his blood seeped into it, the cloth darkened and the moons turned red one by one. And then, of course, she thinks after it would be different if it had been Jory or Sir Roderick or father, she told herself. The young knight in the blue cloak was nothing to her. Some stranger from the Vale of Aaron, whose name she had forgotten as soon as she had heard it. And now the world would forget his name, too. Sansa realized there would be no songs sung for him. That was sad. Uh, thinking of Harry the Heir as this sudden up-jump squire, we hear from all of these side characters in the Vale, Lothar Brune. Everyone says, oh, Elaine, that guy's garbage. Don't feel bad. He's not even good. They just gave him the knighthood so that he could, you know, go compete because he's a rich boy who's bored and his dad's had to do it. Um, I think the biggest signifier for me is his name and I know this sounds silly but George is very about names look at uh Cat of the Canals at the same time as Elaine Stone Catalane it all makes Catalan right uh very clever very nice little just name things that George does and I love the pseudonyms he uses but when we look at Harry his name his last name is literally Hair Dying that's literally his last name um he's a red also he's a red hair dying, a red herring. That's what he is. Uh, I think he's a red herring. And I think George wants us to think he's going to be this big part of the plot, but it, it kind of takes away Sansa's agency. And it feels like the Winds of Winter is very much going to be Sansa finally getting some agency. Uh, if she has to rely on Harry the heir. I don't want a story like that. Come on now. Gross. <laughs> no, I know. Uh, I'll add one more thing um, that I had here. When, um, Sansa's praying in the sept before the Blackwater. She thinks about Joffrey. Uh, well, they start praying for Joffrey, and she kind of storms out. Let his sword break and his shield shatter. Let his courage fail him and every man desert him. And then when Harry shows up in the Vale, she's thinking that he's very handsome, but then she reminds herself, well, Joffrey was also handsome. Uh, and then Harry... Uh, turns out to be a, kind of an arse. He calls, you know, he calls her little fingers bastard. And etc. she thinks to herself, may your horse stumble, Harry the heir, so you fall on your stupid head in your first tilt. So, well, be careful what you wish for, Sansa. Well, <laughs> oh, that exactly. sounds like, like a line that could be foreshadowing. I'm sure everyone's quite familiar with some of the foreshadowing that George does, and that, that does ring a few bells there. So whether he lives or dies in this tourney, I think we can all agree that ultimately he's just going to be another stepping stone and soon to be casualty in the Grand Sansa plan, whatever that may be. We'll get to that. So while we're talking about marriages, Lady Gwynne, why don't, why don't you uh, tell us your thoughts about Sansa's current marriage to Tyrion? Because that kind of gets in the way, right? <laughs> it gets in the way of something, I guess. Yeah. Um, 
Littlefinger certainly sees it as an impediment in A Feast for Crows when he first talks about this um, uh, marriage that he's, this betrothal that he's made for for her. Uh, He needs to either get rid of Tyrion, you know, Tyrion has to die or Tyrion has to be somehow dealt with. Um, And he says also that Cersei has to be finished because obviously Cersei's on the, you know, she's actively searching for Sansa, who she thinks had something to do with Joffrey's death. Well, yeah, she did because she wished for him to die. So Sansa gets what she wishes for. for, So, Uh, But I I don't know how that will change in the Winds of Winter. So in in order for her to, um, you know, marry or potentially marry anyone, um, I'm not sure how that could change. So I think that said that could be a you know something that supports the idea that harry just kind of comes and goes pretty quickly okay so harry coming and going pretty quickly but let's talk about the plan because the plan wasn't for him to come and go very quickly little fingers objectives regarding sans and harry are laid out in this following quote from elaine to a feast for crows when they came together for his wedding, sorry, when they come together for his wedding and you come out with your long auburn hair clad in a maiden's cloak of white and grey with a direwolf emblazoned on the back, why every knight in the vale will pledge his sword to win you back your birthright. So those are your gifts from me, my sweet Sansa, Harry the Eerie and Winterfell. So I think that's a very pertinent quote. If this really is the long game Littlefinger is playing, do we agree that one day Sansa will summon the Knights of the Vale and head off on a northern adventure to reclaim her family home? Chloe, set us off. Absolutely. Oh, I just thought you wanted the answer. I'm sorry. I got so excited. <laughs> um, yes. Yes. No, I think uh, I mentioned it a little bit, but I think it's important that Sansa gets to Winterfell without Littlefinger's help. I think that's one of the most important severing ties for Sansa to start to get some of her own power as a player in the Game of Thrones, right? No longer a pawn. Uh, right now she's growing up or she's living and growing up where Robert and Ned grew up, right? She already has some very, very strong connections to the Vale. I think it's a bit obvious that Miranda Royce knows she's an imposter, right? Miranda Royce is like, hmm, interesting you suddenly know about Jon Snow by name, the Bastard of the Mm. Night's Watch. Very interesting, Sansa Stark. I mean, Elaine Stone, Bastard of the Vale. The Vale wasn't allowed to fight for the North. So not only are there all these little things waiting to go off, Chekhov's cannons, right, of uh, the Vale clan and Shadrich and all this. Uh, and I think once Sansa is revealed as herself, which I think is one of the biggest kind of like interruptions to Littlefinger's plan is probably Shadrich will try to kidnap her. And I think he might fail. I think him failing is what's going to be like, oh, wait, she's important. It's Sansa Stark. <laughs> <laughs> But I see in the future, when it comes to uh, Sansa asking to go home, I think it's going to be very much so a reference to Catelyn V in A Game of Thrones, when Catelyn is in the inn and asks the River Lords to support Hoster Tully and his name. Uh, Sansa's already in the Vale, where they all wanted to fight for Ned and Robert's kin. So if we take a look at Catelyn V, 
I was still Catalan Tully the last time I betted here, she told the innkeep. She could hear the muttering, feel the eyes upon her. Catalan glanced around the room at the faces of the knights and sworn swords and took a deep breath to slow the frantic beating of her heart. Did she dare take the risk? There was no time to think it through, only the moment and the sound of her own voice ringing in her ears. You in the corner, is that the black bat of Harrenhal I see embroidered on your surcoat, sir? The man got to his feet. It is, my lady. And his lady went, a true and honest friend to my father, Lord Hoster Tolly of Riverrun? She is, the man replied stoutly. Uh, Sansa is the reason that the Vale Lords have to uprise. This is it. This is the power. They say we have Ned's precious little girl, right? Ned has two daughters. <laughs> and when she's revealed, that's all the Vale needs to align behind a first men cause. Uh, and this would be when Littlefinger starts to sweat, right? If Sansa doesn't need him to get home, well, she's going to learn soon. She never needed him. Yes. So the turning point for Sansa must come internally. And must be of her own choice and of her own timing. And, you know, maybe she makes a journey and realizes that, you know, Littlefinger doesn't really hold any sway. So hopefully that's what happens. And let's let's move on to talk to talk about something very personal to Sansa, her sister. Let's talk about Arya now and, and their kind of sibling rivalry. Sansa and Arya enter the story as foils, oppositional in many respects. However, however, both are Starks, and we really know in our hearts that they truly love each other beneath this kind of sibling rivalry. So my question is, what is the future in the Winds of Winter for their sibling dynamics? Lady Gwyn? Well, you know, I have um, written down this the Sun and the Moon there, um, which is a reference to uh, that quote from Ned, um, he says to Arya in Game of Thrones, if you must hate Arya, hate those who would truly do us harm. Sansa is your sister. You may be as different as the sun and the moon, but the same blood flows through both your hearts. You need her as she needs you. So I, Sansa and Arya have been on, like the sun and the moon, these kind of parallel complementary arcs um, ever since a Game of Thrones, um, their traje- trajectories have been um, very have been very much in sync. A, a lot of sort of the beats of what both of them have experienced um, be- have been very similar. I think ultimately, it's going to bring them back together. I mean, that we guess we probably all expect that. Um, so when they get back to where they started, they're both going to have been very changed by the experience that they've been through over the course of this this journey, this circular journey that got them from Winterfell, probably back to Winterfell. So I think they both have really, throughout through those experiences, they'll really comprehend the meaning of Ned's advice, um, which is that that they need each other. You know, he go, goes on in that same passage, he talks about, you know, the pack surviving. Um, so I, I do think that the pack dynamics are going to be very important um, to the Starks in the Winds of Winter and beyond. <laughs> yeah, maybe a time for wolves. Chloe, what do you mm. think their relationship is going to look like on the back of so much change? Are they going to be best buddies all of a sudden, or are they going to kind of contain the, a little bit of resentment just as siblings, but, you know, band together anyway? 
I think we'll see a little bit of both, right? Uh, they both had such similar experiences as a prisoner of war, as surviving, but yet so different, right? Uh, and I think Arya, especially because she's a younger sister and some of the things she went through might have been a little more violent consistently daily. However, Sansa's violences were very like microaggressive. Uh, both had very psychologically disturbing experiences, right? As 11, 10, 11, 12, 13 year old girls now, 14 year old girls. Um, I think at first it'll be strained. I do. I think they'll have to find home together. I mean, they're coming home to a burnt home to the loss of their family members. They haven't been allowed to grieve. Something I'm noticing, uh, we're currently going through Jamie on Girls Gone Canon, and the Lannisters have beautiful, huge funeral processions for all these people that keep dying, but they don't want to grieve because they're realizing, wow, my family messed me up. Like it's this sudden realization, like, hey, maybe Tywin messed us all up. And instead of grieving, they're seething with like all this anger and vengeance where all the Starks want is a funeral. All they want is to inter Ned's bones into his tomb. That's all they could want to help finish their family's legacy and just to be home. And I think that's going to become more important, especially as the winds rise. Yeah. And really, that brings us a full circle to Lady Gwyn's analogy of the sun and the moon, maybe two halves of a whole kind of thing, in a yin-yang kind of way. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Okay, so let's move on. Sansa is now in the midst of an archetypal mentor and student relationship with creepy Littlefinger. However, these two make a rather strange pair and readers sense this partnership won't last forever. To provide some groundwork, Lady Gwyn, why don't you explain to us why on earth does Littlefinger like Sansa so much? He doesn't like Sansa. He likes what she represents to him. Um, she is um, young Catelyn um, that he couldn't have, couldn't control. She represents uh, him getting one over on the Starks, who stole his Catelyn away from him. Um, you know, it's it's got nothing to do with her. He he saw her as a, a pliable um, pawn. <laughs> That he could uh, that he could use um, while he pursued this bizarre and quite frankly creepy and perverse dream that he has. Chloe, what do you do? You agree with Lady Gwyn's sentiment? Oh there? yeah, of course. He's totally projecting. It's everything he could never have finally in his clutches, and it's kind of like a dog chasing his tail. It's like. Well, now that I have it, I'm just going to monologue in front of it and hope it goes great. <laughs> uh, 
I think like he's just so full of all of his like, I can't believe I did it. I can't believe I have Eddard Stark and Cattle and Tully's daughter in my clutches. And he's so obsessed like with the power and all the stuff he's going to do that he's totally just blind, right? Like the blind spot, the blind spot is Sansa. It's that's exactly what he's missing. Like that's what's that's the that's the maiden that's going to slay the giant right there because you're too busy being an evil villain right trying to control economies should have just been happy with your little fife with Hall. you should have just sat down but no L- lady gwyn chloe says that sansa is little finger's blind spot his achilles heel what do you think <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean look there's a meta purpose to him spilling his guts about everything to sansa because she's She's our window to him. So if if he didn't do that in the books, we wouldn't know what the freak he was doing. Um, so, you know, from from that point of view, sure. But it suits the narrative as well for him to confide in her and just completely fail to take his own advice about pawns having a will of their own. I mean, he says that to her with not a sing- not, no hint of irony. Oh, Sansa, be careful for the pawns. They might have so a hint stupid. they might have a will of their own. What? <laughs> He's just definitely he has no vision of her. He's rather bright, but perhaps he lacks a bit of common sense, especially in like Chloe said this blind spot. Yeah. It's she he doesn't see her at all. He only sees what what she represents for him, but she, he doesn't see her as an individual. And she's not Catelyn Stark. She's her own character. And I think that's going to be mm-hmm. totally evident in The Winds of Winter. Okay, patron Marie French wonders about how Sansa might discover Littlefinger is a lying piece of shit. <laughs> so let's look at one of the options here, because there are several options One we find quite intriguing, looming over their partnership, is the shadow of Jane Poole. Jane was Sansa's bestie growing up, but she ended up being secretly traded by Littlefinger to Ramsay, and I can't think of a worse deal in the entire series there. The reader knows that Jane has suffered due to Littlefinger's selfish puppeteering, but what happens when Sansa finds out. Lady Gwyn, I believe we made a Twitter poll. Would you like to take it away? We did. We we uh, do a Twitter poll every Friday night uh, and read the results on these live streams. So this week's poll was, will Sansa finding out what happened to Jane Poole um, turn out to be the end of the line for Peter Baelish? And uh, the options were, uh, hell yes, no, he'll weasel out of this somehow or no she'll just she won't find out she'll never find out uh, 58 percent said hell yes uh 22 percent thought he might be able to weasel out of it and 20 percent felt she would never find out so um i put myself in the hell yes hell yes <laughs> hell yes <laughs> okay so why don't we panel this lady gwen will sansa ever find out you know if so how and will this factor amount to the end of peter baelish um the the how she will find out is the is what's kind of curious to me because um i she would first have to because for all the world knows 
except for um, Peter Baelish and maybe a handful of Lannisters who suspect, but they don't really know the real story, um, would be that she'd probably have to go through hearing that her sister Arya has married Ramsay Bolton. Um, and, you know, if you look at the timeline, actually, that marriage is probably happening right around the Elaine one Winds of Winter ch- chapter. So uh, I once we get into the Winds of Winter, Elaine two could very well, as part of it, um, involve her hearing this news. She's noticed in the last two chapters, this one in Winds of Winter and the last Feast for Crows, um, there's been a lot of... Um, of uh, kettle black news coming. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, could the next bit of pertinent news involve her sister? And I had a thought um, just a little while ago that I hadn't, I was trying to puzzle this out and this had not occurred to me before, but I wondered, and maybe you guys can weigh in on this, if perhaps she hears this and she is so damn upset about her sister um, being in this marriage if Littlefinger is so oblivious that he thinks to soothe her by telling her the truth or a version of the truth. Oh, don't worry. That's not really your sister. That's just some steward's whelp. That's, that'd be interesting. I would like to like have some sort of nod because it feels like the only logistical way is for Arya to find out and Arya to come home because she's going to Bravo. So if Arya somehow meets her before Arya comes back from being no one, then it's like, Maybe she could, maybe it would be something that when Sansa's figuring it all out, because I know you and I, Lady Gwyn, have a lot to talk about with the balls as they drop here. You know, of like, <laughs> there's a handful of very incriminating things about Littlefinger that like, once the, all the cards are on the table, it's over, mm-hmm. buddy. It's over. And she's the big one because it's the way that he and Cersei, like the blase way that Cersei was like, get rid of her, do something about it. And Littlefinger then sex traffics her. Like it, it's very softly, subtly awful and disgusting. That chapter, if you take some time and want to get really disgusted, go reread real slow and just absorb that chapter where Sans is like, well, Jane's dad and Jane, they didn't do anything. And then they sex traffic her in response. Awful. Government figures just wasting our tax dragons and it's awful. Uh, But yeah, it has to come to the front. I mean, that's one of the incriminating things. It has to. If that's one of the incriminating things, one of the most disgusting, what what other factors are at play what how else could Littlefinger be taken down what has he what has he done in his back catalogue uh, Chloe have you got any ideas well I don't know if you remember but there was this chapter A Storm of Swords Sansa 7 Lady Gwyn might remember it she came on Girls Gone Canon to chat about it where um Littlefinger murders Liza I don't know if you guys remember oh. that one you know like a high noble lady in society that's pretty damning. And uh, <laughs> or there's the time he betrays Ned. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty damning as well. Uh, Sweet Robin poisoning we've talked about. Mm-hmm. I think there's a good handful, right? Uh, he he shot her hero, Sir Dantos, right in front of her or had him shot, you know, and he's like, oh, well, he's a loose end. We just had to take care of that. I just think that as these deaths mount, you know, Dantos, Lysa, maybe Sweet Robin, maybe Harry. I mean, I don't know if Littlefinger would be responsible for that, but who knows? Uh, She's going to start realizing 
all this stuff is kind of they, they follow a pattern of isolating her and making her fully dependent on him so then when you start digging deeper and deeper before Dantos well then you had Jane Poole and her father and stuff like that so once once she starts to put all those pieces together she's going to realize you know that he's been behind all of this um, and we have some thoughts about how she might put the big piece together a little bit later but um, I think it's going to be checkmate for him and I wanted to um before we move on from the poll at all, um, I just want to shout out to our friend and patron B Word, uh, who says that um, Sansa really has to see what Littlefinger is capable of. Like, and um, that I loved this idea that her friendship with Jane was written for a reason. So it's not. This is a this is a book, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so George wrote certain things for certain reasons. So he didn't, it didn't all just happen by accident. And it's not just a big, great tragedy that Jane Poole got taken. Um, it, it, there's, there's probably some thought behind it. Shut her up. Well, she's going to be a huge plot point. Well, Jane Poole and Ned, her father, you know, it couldn't get more personal with Sansa and on Radio Westeros in the past, we've talked a lot about mentor and pupil dynamics, this kind of classic archetype. So often the the student kind of outgrows the mentor in some way. So will Sansa turn on her mentor and bring him to the justice that he deserves? Chloe, take us away. I know a lot of people are like, what's Sansa going to do? in A Dream of Springs, and it's exactly that. Uh, we start the story off with Ned in A Game of Thrones investigating and trying to protect bastards. As we learn, it unravels about him having to do some not-so-great things and keeping devastating secrets from his family to try to keep them safe, whether they paid off, whether they were good, whether they were bad. And I think that in A Dream of Springs specifically, Sansa will mirror Ned, very much so. It's what I like to call stark noir right? It's a stark noir plot. Sansa herself has seen all of these awful secrets unfold in King's Landing, in the Vale, and once she gets back to her family, I kind of foresee her playing the same game, right? Protecting her family, including a quote-unquote bastard. Uh, Sansa's gonna have to play Baelish's 4D chess, right? And question the direction he's giving her, and I imagine some sort of political di diplomatic kind of direction has to be seen because that's who she is in the family, right? Sansa gets politics, Bran gets magic, Ch uh, Arya's the child warrior assassin, Rickon gets left behind, Jon conciliates, right? Like these are their specific roles as their factions as we move along. And she's going to come to Winterfell with her own allies, not Littlefinger's allies, in her own familial home. Uh, she'll have nothing else to do in A Dream of Spring besides prove her political prowess. So we, we arrive at the question, something I've gone back and forth over in my mind and changed my mind a hundred times. Would Sansa be the one to deliver northern justice in the name of House Stark? By her own hand, Lady Gwyn, why don't you illustrate kind of both sides of the argument here? Well, I'm going to say that we've made a case in the past for yes, we've even made some suggestions for how that could happen. But um, 
just for the obvious reason, you know, stark justice. We all know what that is. You know, he who passes the sentence should swing the sword. But I think you could, there's a lot to be said for um, another Ned quote where he talks about the pack surviving together. And I think that that gets to what what, uh, Chloe was just saying about, you know, they're parceling out sort of the roles. So um, you, there's a lot to be said for Starks acting as a pack after they reunite. I was going to ask you, Chloe, do you think that Sansa will be reunited in person with Jane Poole in the story, maybe in the Winds of Winter? What do you think? I hope so. I really do, Yoke Boy. I, I just, you know, I don't think the story has a ton of happy endings. I know there's been that theory, right, that uh, Jane gets to Bravos and asks for the gift and mm-hmm. Arya gives her the gift maybe or something. I don't know if that'll happen. It might be a little edgy or whatever, but I think that's a sad, nice theory in a way. Um, on that same flip side, Jane's already suffered a pretty grievous, aff- not affliction, really. It's not really a grievous affliction, but her nose, right? She's missing part of her nose. Uh, and it kind of feels like when George, uh, so to say, cripples a person in the books in some sort of manner physically, they survive for the most part. Not jury's out on Jamie Lannister, but. Uh, it kind of feels like you've already heard him enough. So hopefully you've abused Jane Poole enough and she lives and Sansa and her have lemon cakes in the kitchens all the time, you know? Yay. Yeah. I hope there's <laughs> some sort of happy ending, but with George, you just never know. There's a lot of tragedy and mm-hmm. pain, but that's why we're here. Right. Okay. Let's move on. Littlefinger is ambitious, but it remains to be seen where those ambitions end. Presuming that Sansa one day outgrows him and discards him, and with the thought that Sansa is on the way to becoming a political player in her own right, what is Sansa's ultimate fate? Let's break this down a bit. Let's begin with patron Christine's question, who wonders if Sansa will finally become a player during the Winds of Winter. Lady Wynn, what do you think? Will yeah. Sansa become a player in this book? Yes. Yeah, I think that's... That is where we're going. Because she has to get there in order for... Um, look, A Dream of Spring is going to have probably a very different... Um, you know... Very different agenda, shall we say. You know, there's going to be a lot of... Um, other things going on that <laughs> see what I did there mm-hmm. other things uh, <laughs> so I think that we have to get uh, you know everybody has to get set up for that um, in winds of winter so yes and Chloe do you think that little fingers endgame is the iron throne as people have theorized Or do you think this story is headed towards a Sansa being the queen in the North end game? So I think Littlefinger's game plan is absolutely Iron Throne for Sansa. He wants to go all out. And Littlefinger's the kind of guy who's like, I want to get the establishment so I can set it on fire and then laugh at it and then roll around in my gold dragons. You know what I mean? Like he's like, oh, I'm just going to screw everyone over on the way because they screwed me over. Um, But I think that when we examine 
Sansa's kind of role in Endgame through the story. Uh, there's a lot to think about, right? Like she's done so much from watching awful leaders that she continues to be kind of the opposite. Cersei, Littlefinger, yes, the Sweet Robin stuff is suspect, but I do think it's part of her character that she has to realize this is awful and change it. And that's kind of a progression we'll see. I'd like to touch on kind of the implication of Sansa's endgame when we think about a few different things. She's the key to many kingdoms, the Vale, the Riverlands, the North. Hell, her marriage to Tyrion is probably kind of desired for some political play in the Westerlands because, look, Davin is trying his best, right? But meh, uh, <laughs> eh, questionable. Yeah. I don't know that she'll solely be queen in the North, a la the, the throne show endgame. I could see the kingdom splitting differently than six to one. At the end of the story, I think that could be a difference we might be on the lookout for. But George's original outline back in the 90s for this, he, without a doubt, changed his mind on her role. And you can see that as early as A Game of Thrones in Clash. Uh, his outline plans were that Sansa was going to marry Joffrey, have his kid, regret too late that she you know, betrayed her family with the, you know, the, the arranged marriage that she was put in, whether she wanted it or not. It's there. Uh, and in Clash, though, Sansa is a symbol for Northern independence, right? She's bleeding in front of the Iron Throne. Uh, the red in the veins of the Weirwood is the same red as the blood that Sansa sheds on the floor of the throne room. It's the blood shed by her grandfather and uncle in that throne room, putting her in some of the most treacherous clutches of villains as a prisoner of war and having her somehow emerge not like Lady Stoneheart is tremendous. Whether we have the end game, whether she's queen in the North, that's a tremendous change of character for her. It's huge compared to what George originally set out to write as the black sheep of the family. I think there's also something with the wolves that uh, everybody talks about the symbolism that the wolves have, right, for each of them mm -hmm, yeah. with Grey Wind and Lady and Summer. Uh, I feel like Ned's influence is really important when we grasp this because Sansa is, I know I keep repeating it, but she is going to fulfill Ned 2.0. Lady was the sacrifice. Lady was the one that died from the beginning. It's something people think about it's clearer every time I revisit that Ned kills Lady and has to let go of Sansa, right? Because she is very much one half of the dead Lyanna in his mind. That is the girl who's in love with crown princes and songs. Arya is the girl that likes swords and battle. Uh, when he looks at his daughters, that's what he sees. And when he kills Lady, he disconnects from Sansa. It says it in the text, much like he disconnected from Lyanna and Brandon and Benjen. Uh, with Sansa ruling Winterfell, I think it'll be just like Ned. She'll finish what he wanted with her cousin's help, John. She'll finish resettling the new gift, right, with free folk and northern lords alike. And she'll rule Winterfell possibly alone, just like Ned. Her siblings dead, gone, exiled, uh, one or another, whichever canon or theory you want to go on. Sansa, the girl that dreamed of leaving those cold walls of Winterfell, right? Those marble walls and wanted nothing more than to be away from her family. And in the end, all she wanted was to come home to her family. And in the end, she doesn't even get to keep them. All she has are her people and she has to give them her love instead. I think that's a really appropriately bittersweet ending, right? For Queen Sansa. I hate the theories about Sansa ending up like Elizabeth, right? The virgin queen never marrying. And there are some paramours I'd like to suggest she take up. We don't have to talk about it, but uh, we can. But I, I just thinking of her alone in the Godswood, I imagine that if she ends up alone, if the 
you know, burden of war and the scars of war for Arya and John are too much and they're gone. And Bran might be in the south and Rickon gone. Uh, I just see her alone in that large godswood. And I think she would take the people of the north as her family, right? And fill the halls of Winterfell with all of these laughing children her siblings never got to have. Yeah, I love that. I want to say that uh, for anyone that watches The Last Kingdom or has read Bernard Cornwell's wonderful series of books that that show is based on, to the Elizabeth parallel, I prefer the Ethel Fled Lady of the Martians parallel with Sansa. Maybe because I thought of it. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> it's a nice parallel. But no, it's she. She she pretty much did what you said, and she was um, well in the show and in. I guess in in history, real life, she was um, celibate because of uh, anxiety over what what a potential husband or mate might do, which is similar to Elizabeth too. Um, you know, as as a way of keeping the power vested in in the female. Um, but uh, I don't know. That's just she was also you know a, a more of a warrior queen and sort of um, I don't know. I just I see so many parallels there. So. so so given that Sansa has been through such a lot over the pages of A Song of Ice and Fire, and she's really learned her game from abhorrent characters, hasn't she? So realistically, what type of leader can Sansa be, Lady Gwyn? Uh, well, she's... I would say as far as what she's learned from other people, she's she's learned what not to do. Uh, that, you know, quote that we probably all know, if I'm ever queen, I'll make them love me, which she's, she thinks while she's watching, she's listening to Cersei give her absolutely horrible advice and do horrible things during the Blackwater. Um, and Sansa's reaction is, God, I could do way better than this, you know. Cersei's telling her all about that rule by fear, which is the whole dichotomy of uh, Lannister Stark. So um, she is Ned's daughter. She's, like you said, Chloe, Ned 2.0. You know, she's learned leadership lessons, which are based on love and respect, not fear. Um, and she learned those lessons long before any of these other Cretans who have been trying to teach her how to do things. Um ever showed up in her life so a true stark sansa so a discussion about sansa wouldn't be right without mentioning another certain character can you guess who i'm gonna bring up here for our last question patron sister winter wonders as a sansan she says <gasps> when where or how Will our hound and his little bird meet up again? In what possible circumstances? Why don't you begin, Lady Wynne? Um. So, yes, when, um, they they will. Um, Sandor has unfinished business with both Arya and Sansa, right? So, eh, some people have wondered about some kind of rescue. And actually, we've talked about at the start, how, uh, you know, we, we, some of us may have had opinions uh, that had have changed or become more nuanced over time. Um, I'm not ashamed to admit that uh, at one point I really thought, mostly because I really hoped 
that Sansa would ride in, or Sander would ride into the Vale on his, not white horse, but his metaphorical white horse and carry her away. Or a real white horse. Maybe a real white Depends horse. Depends how romantic you are. <laughs> or where he got the horse. Uh, but it's, that's not going to happen. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's, he's, he's located conveniently enough for that to have happened, which is why people thought, that thought in the first place, but um, Sansa no- Sandor knows stuff though, Lady Gwyn. He does. So more importantly, um, he has to has to come together with her um, because he's the only person who, as far as I can tell, um, he's the only person who can confirm that Littlefinger's knife at her father's throat is what led to her father's betrayal and death. He is the only um, one alive from the throne room that can do this. I'm exactly. just saying. Yes, exactly. So really what I wonder is, is that, you know, when we were talking before about how Jane Poole was written um, in order, in that specific way, in order to lead to a certain point, is Sandor, Sandor's knowledge or his presence there, it, it, when Ned was betrayed by Littlefinger, is that the nuts and bolts of the Sandor Sansa connection? I mean, not saying there's not other stuff that we all observe and like to think about, um, but you know, from a narrative um, point of view, it, is that kind of what keeps him tied to Sansa's arc all the way to the end? Yeah, it it feels like that's the faded moment. I hope that's the big detail. Um, I, I think it's a very convenient place right now where Sandor is in the quiet aisle to where Sansa is in the veil. And that's obviously uber like romantic. I, I started getting into a song of ice and fire deeper and deeper because 2013, I went on a little site called tumblr.com and suddenly I found out there was a thing called Sansan and I did not know and someone should have warned me, but they didn't. And now this is where we are and I will not apologize for the person I have become. That being said, I'm definitely a little more cynical about it now. I think there is definitely a moment that they have to have of like a last little bird moment, you know, where he's like, I don't know, bleeding out and like protecting her or some crap. Who knows? But at the same time, everyone wants like Jamie, Brienne, Sandor, everybody to be in the same area and get Sansa. And I think it's going to be hysterically like missed by moments every time, you know, until the very end. Um, and I mean, let's face it, A Feast for Crows is like platonic smut for Sansa and Sandor only because all they do is think about each other. And you're like, Chloe, how could you say Sandor's thinking about Sansa because we don't have a point of view to tell us that canonically? Actually, we do. Because Brienne goes to the quiet aisle and when she speaks to the Septons and the elder brother, they tell her about how all the novices get to talk one day a week. And then the elder brother knows when Brienne looks at him, he's like, oh, you're looking for Sansa Stark? You know why that is? Because Sandor Clegane on his one day out of seven days a week will not shut up about the Stark sisters and they want to throttle him. I can tell you that Septim Maribald and the elder brother are like, well, this guy shut up about all of his guilt, but it's there. They're both thinking about each other. I think Sansa will have to see her sad old friend Sandor Clegane before his end, before she releases him and lets him go deal with his vengeance. Great thoughts there, Chloe. <laughs> Thank you. There we are. And Chloe, you've been a fine guest. You've spoken very well today. 
why why don't you tell us what you're up to creatively tell us about your podcast spotlights on you give yourself a shout out wow this is also sudden uh you can find me uh talking weekly about jamie lannister right now we're getting very close to the end uh, i'm on a podcast called girls gone canon we are a podcast consisting of me and a rhythmetric uh, eliana from maester monthly if you guys have heard of that podcast great little cast she is my uh, she's my sword to my shield, right? She's the Arya to my Sansa. We have actually covered Sansa in fall, had Lady Gwyn on for it, but we are doing POV to POV. So we start at the beginning of a character's POV. We go to the end of a character's POV. Chapter by chapter, we talk about the stuff in between that happened to keep you refreshed in our lightning rounds. It's very fun. Uh, sometimes there's singing. If you ever come on the podcast, you'll know. There's probably singing. So check us out. We're on Podbean. Uh, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. All of the different streaming places, we're there. Look us up. And I also have a blog. It's liesandarborgold.com. Uh, check that out. It's got a fun couple metas and theories hanging out. I'm trying to put some new stuff out. I am uh, utilizing one of our favorite creators, San Rixian, to help me with some art for it. But... It's also like secretly, if she doesn't do the art, then I don't have to finish the essay. You know what I mean? So we'll see. <laughs> yes. We'll see. And that's it. Thank you so much for having me. I, it was a blast to come talk Sansa with you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It, uh, it was great to have you. Uh, thanks to everyone who was here listening. Um, thanks to everyone who will be listening to pre-recorded versions or in the future. Uh, we appreciate you. Um, like we, we said earlier, we have a new episode in our Winds of Winter Primer series coming out in just a few days. Right now it's in its patron um, rollout. Uh, $5 and up patrons have access as of right this minute. So... Uh, do come check that out. It's about Sansa, Arya, Bran, and Davos. Hmm. What's he doing in that group? Hmm. Just think about that. <laughs> Next week, having said that, uh, we're going to be talking about Bran, and our guest is going to be Zach from Game of Owns. Uh, so we are excited for that. Um, yeah. So come back next week. Um, we'll be back next week. And all the weeks to come, what the hell, all the Saturdays for the foreseeable future, talking the Winds of Winter POVs, just like today. Thanks so much to everyone who's tuned in. Don't forget to hit the like and subscribe. And if you'd like to support Radio Westeros, please know that we do have a Patreon campaign where patrons can get all manner of benefits, you know, early release, shout outs, all of that kind of thing. Come and join us. And thanks again to you all. Stay safe and see you next time. Okay. Bye for now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.